You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. The Godfather, I mean God the Father, has something to say to you today. The boss has a message. And he sent an associate. It's not funny. (laughs) The boss has sent an associate. His name, Malachi. Malachi chapter 1, verse 1. Let's take a look. A prophecy. That means this is serious. It means burden. It's heavy. The word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. An ancient yet modern message. Let's pray. Cotton! (laughs) My mouth is dry. Extra dry. If you didn't know who that was, that was my attempt at being the Godfather. I think I put one too many pieces of cotton in there because I had no ability, I had no voice. Um, Malachi, it's actually pronounced Malachi, not Malachi, but it sure does look like Malachi. In Malachi chapter 1, we find out that there is a very heavy message that is about to be presented to you. Uh, This guy, Malachi, or is he a guy? Is he a who or who is he? Is, this is important. What you're going to find that God is the primary person talking through this book, and he refers to himself throughout the whole thing as God, Lord Almighty, which means self-existent creator, Lord, and host of all creation. And you can put in parentheses, the boss. The boss is repeatedly reminding you that he doesn't need you, But he is in charge, and he has a message. So what we're going to do is we're going to unpack the book of Malachi, four weeks, four chapters, out of a book that is rarely ever read, except when it's misused often when it comes to money. Uh, Malachi may or may not be a person. His name, the word Malachi actually means the messenger. Some think that Malachi might even be uh, referencing the message of Ezra. Uh, some people think he's an actual person. I tend to lean towards the fact that Malachi, Malachi might actually be a real person. It's the only mention of a person named Malachi in the entire Bible. However, Malachi as a book is one of the most quoted books of the Bible in the Bible. That means Jesus quotes Malachi a lot. The prophets, I mean, the, uh, the apostles quote Malachi a lot, as well as Peter, uh, the apostle, and, and Paul, the apostle. It's one of the most often quoted. Uh, and if you have a Bible, you'll notice it's the very last book in the New Testament. It's the very last of a set of books known as the minor prophets. That means they're not important. It means they're small books. And four chapters that is one of the most harsh in your face 
chapters or books in the entire Bible. In fact, today's message is called In Your Face, and it has a double meaning. You'll find out that later. To get the most out of this book, let's kind of give a little backstory on this book a little bit, all right? Israel was not living for God for several hundred years. God allowed them to be attacked by enemies Two groups of people, the Babylonians and then the Persians. And the Israelites were taken off as slaves into exile. That means they were exiled, kept out of their own land for about a hundred years, a little less than a hundred years. And they were in exile in Babylon and in Persia. Eventually, the leaders of that area of Babylon and Persia gave some permission for some of the Jewish people to go back to the Israelites to go back to their homeland. They still controlled it. The Persians still controlled it, but they said, you can go back to where you were born or your parents were born and you can start a life again there under our rule. So a lot of them went back and they rebuilt the temple that had been destroyed when it was attacked a hundred years earlier. And they began to basically worship God again. That story is found in Ezra and in Nehemiah where they go back out of exile and build the temple again. So they were excited, man. They were pumped, man. God was working on their behalf. God showed favor in their life and he showed up in a cool way and they began to live life under God. It's kind of like when you give your life to Christ and you're pumped, you're excited, you hear God, you're moving, or maybe when you come back from a camp and you're just, woo, man, everything is like, yeah, praise God. And you're pumped about everything. It's like when you have a great service or you're in a season of growth. Well, 50 years later, after they built the temple and started doing the whole church thing again, they began to drift from God again. And the feelings that they had begin to fade. It's kind of like what happens to us when the excitement of our faith wears off. Sometimes we get excited, we come back from an event, or we give our life to Christ, and there's a season we're excited with God, excited for God, And then the feelings begin to fade. This letter is a response because they began to question God's love. They began to question his presence. They began to wonder why their prayers they felt were not even heard anymore. They began to even wonder if God even loved them or was there at all. So God, the boss, sends a message to them, and that's Malachi, the messenger. So let's take a look at it. It's to give comfort and to conflict them. Because you're going to find this is, this is one of those books that is, did God really say that? Did God really do that? It is harsh. So if you're not a Christian today, I want you to understand the scripture through the eyes of Christ. And if you are a Christian, I want you to receive this today. And uh, hopefully this will conflict you and comfort you. So Malachi 1.1, it says a prophecy, that means a burden, a heavy weight, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi And the first thing the boss says is this, verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord. I love this. First thing he says, I love you. First, right out of the bat, right off the top, verse 2, this is from God. Guess what? I love you. And and this is so important because the rest of this book is so heavy-handed. God had to say, you know what? I'm going to get on to you for a minute, and I'm really going to lay it on pretty heavy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chastise you, but I want you to know from the start, I love you. I want you to know something, guys. Guess what? 
God loves you. He cares for you. Do you get that? He has not forgotten about you. Some of you are sitting here, God, are you there? Have you forgotten me? No, God says, I love you. I care for you. After all you've done, after your stubbornness and your hard heart, the things that you've said, the places you've gone, God says, I love you. Now, God's about to get serious now after he says that. You know, I'm about to call you out. It's going to be harsh. But I want you to know my motive is because I love you. By the way, if, if I begin a sentence with you like, I love you, if I begin the sentence with I love you, be prepared because something's coming. <laughs> if I've ever taken somebody aside, I just want you to know I love you. But this is kind of what's happening here. God says, you know, I love you. But here we go. This is what they say. God says, I love you, says the Lord. And they say, how? How have you loved us? God, I don't feel you right now. I don't feel your love. I feel lifeless. The excitement has wore off. God, I don't know if you're there. God, you say, the preacher up front says, God, you love me. And your response like theirs is, how have you loved me? Because I don't feel it. I don't get it. I'm not connecting with this, oh, God loves you and has a wonderful plan with your life sort of message. How, God? Well, this is what God says. God responds with, well, was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. Interesting. And I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. If you have King James, that's an interesting uh, word right there. You might want to check out. Uh, Edom, that's his descendants, may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish it. They will be called the wicked land. A people always under the wrath of God, under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your eyes own eyes and say, great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. Now you're like, what? How does that in any way say, I love you? Let me translate for you what it means. Basically, he's saying, remember the twins, Jacob and Esau? They were the sons of Abraham. Remember them? Well, these twins, Esau was the older one and should have had the blessing of God on his life. But I chose Jacob over Esau, and nothing, nothing can change that, no matter how hard the descendants of Esau try. So here's what God is saying. As I chose Jacob, I chose you. And and as I love Jacob, I love you, and nothing can ever change that or will be able to change the fact that I chose you and I love you. So here's the deal. God says, you know what? Write this down if you're taking notes. When you can't feel God, remember. When you can't feel God, God says, well, remember this. I've chosen you. Some of you guys, well, how do I know if I'm chosen of God? Well, if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, guess what? He chose you. And if you're not a Christian in this room and you wonder, am I a Christian, or should I be a Christian, or am I going to be one of God's, quote, chosen? Well, if you give your life to Him, you are chosen of God. He has 
called you because the Bible says no one can know him apart from the Holy Spirit. No one can say Jesus is Lord apart from the Holy Spirit. You don't even want to be a part of his family unless God himself is calling you and choosing you. So God says basically, if you are his, he chose you. And even when you can't feel him, know this, remember what he's done for you. Remember that he chose you. Remember the cross. Remember the sacrifice that was paid for you. Remember the blood that was shed because he loved you. Remember the torture and the pain and the life that he lived simply because he wanted to be in relationship with you. Remember the price that was paid for you. Remember the day that you gave your life to Christ. Remember When you can't feel God, remember that moment when you cried out to God and you realized God chose you. When you don't feel God, remember his grace. Remember what it was like before you lived for God. And you don't want to go back to that anymore. When you don't feel God, remember. By the way, this is what communion is all about. When we take communion, we usually have it available every single week. Communion is that remembrance God, I remember the blood that was poured out for me. I remember the, your body was broken for me. I remember that your shedding of your blood, your grace, that undeserving choosing of me, that grace, that unmerited favor, I will remember that even when I don't feel you. God says, when you don't feel me, remember. Just remember what I've done for you. Paul echoes that in 2 Thessalonians 2.13. He says, but we ought to always thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through the belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel. That's the gospel of Jesus, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then stand firm. That means remember. Hold fast. That means remember. Don't forget The teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. Jesus loves you. He called you. He has chosen you. He has not forgot you. Max Lucado put it best. He says, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. Now, God says, now I want to get real. Because I'm going to tell you why you don't feel me now. I'm going to tell you why you struggle to connect with me. And this is where Malachi gets really harsh. In fact, I've been in a lot of prayer over this because I want to make sure that you don't misinterpret this passage, this scripture. This this has got some of the craziest things ever said in the Bible right here in chapter 1 in the first part of 2. It says, God says, all right, you want to know where's the love? Well, I want to ask you, where's the honor? I'm going to get all profit up in here, so get ready. I bet you didn't know I'm hip like that. Hip-hop. Yo, yo, what up? G. (laughs) Fool. No, I'm just kidding. The Bible says not to call anybody a fool. Shut up, fool. No, I'm just kidding. All right. See, I'm not hip like that. But I try. Malachi 1, 6, it says, A son honors. That word honor means weight. It means heavy. His father and a slave is master. That means when you honor mom and dad, you give weight to their words. You, that means when you honor your parents or honor your boss or honor authority, that means you give weight to you. They are basically carrying something that you respect enough to give weight to what they have to say in their leading in your life. 
It says, if I'm a father, if I'm truly family, if I'm truly your father in heaven, where's the honor due me? He says, if I'm a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty, says the boss. He says, you want to know where the love is? Well, I'm going to ask you. You can't feel me. You don't know I'm around because you don't honor me the way you should. I want you to write this down. This is a problem they had is they didn't see God as a heavyweight anymore. They began to take God and his word lightly. They, they didn't see him or put him in a place of awe and respect. He was the big guy upstairs, the guy who wound the machine. He was the, you know, the landlord, but he wasn't the one who they had awe and trembled before. They didn't didn't give away to him. He says, where's the humility? Where's the seeking of my face? By the way, we come together not to patty cake God. We don't come together to say, oh, thank you, Lord. You know, play golf clap, golf clap worship, golf clap worship. No, we come to honor God. Verse 6, it says, It is you, priests, who show contempt for my name, but you ask how? Have we shown contempt for your name by offering defiled food on the altar? But you ask how? How have we defiled you? You're going to see this all through Malachi. God will say something, they'll be like, How? They're like in total denial. They think they're okay. They think they're fine. But God says, I have some serious issues that are heavy on my heart that you need to get clear in your mind about me. God begins to lay it on the table and they're acting like kids. How? How did we do that? We didn't do that. By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. By the way, the Lord's table does not literally mean a table. The Lord's table was an altar. And basically they had a, a, a law given to them by the Old Testament that they were to bring the very best of the best of what they had to the Lord and lay it on the altar. They would sacrifice these pure and innocent, perfect animals on the altar as a sacrifice of love to the Lord. And then they would partake of that like a big barbecue and they would eat it. They didn't just like kill the animals and throw it out as some weird, grotesque ceremony. It was actually, they offered it to the Lord and then they were drawn together by the grace of God in their life. That table was a symbol of coming into fellowship with God. And they were called by God to bring the best of their lamb, the best of their goats, the best of their cattle. And when they meet together, they were to celebrate the awe of God. He says, but you instead have made it contemptible when you offer blind animals for sacrifice. Is that not wrong? He says, when you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Now, he says, you bring me leftovers and you plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept? It's a rhetorical answer. The answer is no, I will not accept it, says the Lord. Write this down. They brought God leftovers when he requires the best of us. They were bringing the sick, the disease. They were bringing the things they didn't want to God. And we do the same. 
You know, it reminds me of uh, African missionaries who get these care packages and they open up these boxes of clothes donated, only open up to find shirts with missing buttons and pants with broken zippers. And people who donate them think, oh, they're doing so much good for the people around the world, but they're just giving their garbage. They're giving the stuff they don't want. We do the same thing in our own life. God gets our leftovers. He gets the leftovers of our time. God, if I have time, I'll squeeze you in. He gets the leftovers of our focus. God, I got so much going on. I try, I'll try to fit you in today. He gets the leftovers of our attention. He gets the leftovers of our thoughts. He gets the leftovers of our resources and the things that he has given us to begin with. Here, God, here's a tip. Here's what's left over, what I don't want, what I can do without. God wants and deserves the best of our life, of our energy, of our giving. It's like this. Today is the Super Bowl. And if one of the players was out on the field, just kind of kicking the the turf, you know, and they're playing and he's over here pulling the turf. Hey, this this is real turf. Guys, come here. This is cool. This isn't like back up north. You think the coach would be, smile, man. Thanks for being on the field. Then that coach would be screaming and yell, get over here. And he would say, dude, get a fire in your pants or get off the field, right? He'd be on fire. God, in many ways, does the same thing. He says, man, get a fire in it or get off the field. Stop giving me leftovers of your energy and your time. Verse 10, it goes on in chapter 1. says, oh, this is where it really gets crazy harsh. He says, oh, that you would just shut the temple doors. He says, I wish you would just not even meet together. I wish you wouldn't even have church. Why are you even? I wish at least somebody would have the boldness to show up and lock the doors before people show up. He says, so that you would not light useless fires On my altar, I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, says the boss. And I will accept no offering from your hands. Wow. That's some serious stuff. He says, man, if you aren't bringing the best, what's the point? Write this down. They were just going through the motions. They were just going through the motions. It's what I would call watermelon worship. If you've ever been in a singing group and you don't know the words, particularly with young kids, you just say, I don't know the words. Just sing. Watermelon. I was actually singing Our God is Great with Watermelon Worship. <laughs> so I said, Watermelon, what? Watermelon. Now, the whole time, we do the same thing. It's heartless, it's motions. We don't, we don't sing it from our heart. It's heartless, empty actions that lack the Holy Spirit. And we do the same thing. If when we gather, if we're just going through the motions, if God's not in it, if God's not in this place, if our worship is not filled with the anointing of the Holy Spirit, if this preaching is not filled with God's purpose and function, if we're just going through the motions, then God says, just shut the door Close living way down, go home, don't bother, I won't accept it, don't waste your time. Wow! Now, ultimately, the purpose of this is rhetorical. God's not literally saying, I don't want you to come. 
the response that God calls us to, as you're going to find, is that God is not saying actually go home. He's saying, but, it, but rather instead, get on your face. He's saying, get on your face, cry out to God, cry out for the Holy Spirit, cry out for His presence, cry out for His glory to be made known in this place. So if you're there and you're going, ah, oh, my heart's not in it, I'm staying home. That's what Malachi says. It's a rhetorical comment. God is saying, you know what, if you feel lifeless, if you feel heartless, if you don't feel God, get on your face. Cry out to the Holy Spirit. Cry out to God to, to shake inside of you, to stir inside of you. Remember your life before Christ. Remember those moments when you met Him. Remember the cross. Remember the blood. Stop going through the motions. He goes on to say, by the way, John four twenty four says, For God is spirit, so those who worship must worship in spirit and in truth. God is not looking for worship. He is looking for worshipers. He's not looking for, you're awesome, God, you're awesome. Woo, thank you. He's like, oh, thank you, thank you. No, no, stop, stop, no. God's not looking for praise and adoration. He's looking for people whose heart are for him. Our praise Authentic praise, spirit-filled worship tells God you mean business and he wants to use you. He's not looking for worship. He's looking for worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. Authentic worship is not cool performances. Authentic worship is not excellence in like the song was done perfect. Authentic worship is not warm emotions and goosebumps. Authentic worship is not comfortable mood lighting and candles. Authentic worship is worship in spirit and truth. It's gathering with a humble acknowledgement of the Almighty God. God, we are here for you. That is authentic worship. Here's what it says in verse 11. It says, my name, God says, Lord Almighty, the boss says, my name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. Basically he's saying, with or without you, My name will be exalted. You get a choice. You get a chance to join in what I'm doing because with or without you, my name will be exalted in this world. I don't need you to make me look good. That's what God is saying. So when we, God's not going, please worship me, please. He doesn't need your worship. He is self-existent. That's what Lord Almighty means. He is self-existent, creator, host of all, Lord of all. He doesn't need our worship. He will get it with or without you. But we get to be a part of his glory. He says, you can resist it, but I always win. Verse 12, he says, but you profane it. You profane my name by saying the Lord's table is defiled and its food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously. That means you look at the altar and you look at the work and you go, oh, what a pain. Says the Lord Almighty, write this down. They complained about serving God. Just complained about serving God. Man, God, really? All this work? Uh, We do the same. We do the same. I don't like this song. I don't like this place. I don't like this lighting. I don't like these seats. What a hassle. Do I have to actually help in KidVenture? Do I actually have to clean up? What a burden. Do I have to get there early? Do I have to come? What a hassle. Do I have to sing one more song? Come on. Okay, wrap it up, Chris. Ah. God says, really? And you wonder why you can't sense me in your life? 
You wonder why you can't feel me in your life? Verse 13, he says, when you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed are you. By the way, he's saying, God is not saying this for his benefit. He's saying because when we do these things, it hurts us. It affects us. He says, you're only hurting yourself. He says, cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. He says, if you know you have it to bring to God, if you know that you have not been bringing your best, but yet you do not bring your best, God says, "Mm, it's going to go bad for you. Write this down. This is the last thing he says about what they did is that they brought careless worship. The cancer of complacency was eating at their commitment with careless worship. We do the same. We give the best to ourself. God gets the heartless worship that we can muster together. We look good. We say we're given our best. We might even have our eyes closed and our hands raised, but we're totally thinking about where we're going to lunch. But instead, you are the one to bring the worship. Think about it this. You want the best worship here? Bring your best worship. You want the glory of God to be here? Then come filled with the glory of God in your life and bring the glory of God with you. This is... This is powerful here. This is what Malachi is challenging us with. What will you bring? What will you offer? What does it mean to give less than the best? What does it look like to give God last? What does it mean to give gifts that cost us nothing? Here's a few thoughts. Check this out. Put a few ideas here. It's when I spend an hour reading my books or several hours reading books, and then in the five minutes before I fall asleep, I read God's Word. That's leftovers. When I give... When we give our careers our best energy, our best talent, our best motivation, but when it comes to serving the body of Christ, we either sit on the sidelines or find something to give the least amount of energy to. That's giving God leftovers and our last. When we spend a lot of money on ourselves frivolously, but when it comes to God, we look at the budget and say, "Ah, I can't give. Maybe next week. And then when we can, it's whatever we don't want or can spare. God, here's a tip. It's when we watch the Ravens and the 49ers score and we leap off the couch, but in worship we sit passively on our hands with our arms crossed. Now, I'm not saying we can't cheer on and have a good time in events, but if that's what we give something that matters nothing, can we not have the same passion Malachi is challenging us, God is challenging us, for the one who saved our soul. It's when we love our kids so much, there's nothing we wouldn't give them. But if we're honest, our heart doesn't beat the same for Jesus. That's leftovers. Malachi 14b, he ends chapter 1 with this. He says, for I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. God says, I won't have it. I am the king of kings. I am the Lord Almighty. I will not be treated this way. I'm going to wrap up with a couple of thoughts because first they ask God, I don't feel loved. And then they begin to ask God, I don't don't feel like I'm making a difference. So here's a couple of verses. Chapter 2, we're going to end with this thought. Chapter 1 responds with, God, I don't feel your love. Now he says, well, I'll tell you why you don't feel like you're making a difference. Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, and now you, you priests, 
this warning is for you. Now, I want to clarify, when he says priest, he's talking to anyone in here who's bowed the knee to Christ and accepted him into your life. The Bible says in Second Peter, it says in Hebrews, and it says in Revelation that we are, when we give our life to Christ, we become that royal priesthood that God put in place through the Old Testament. We become those who carry on the covenant of the Levi. So I'm going to explain that here in a moment, but I want you to realize that this is for you if you are a Christian. If you are a parent, this is for you. If you are a leader of any kind, this is for you. If you're a student and you've given your life to Christ, this is for you. If you feel like you're not making a difference, if you feel like you're hitting the wall at home with your kids, if you feel like nothing is getting accomplished at work, if you feel like you just can't break through at school, if you feel like your walk with God is going nowhere, if you feel frustrated, Malachi says, this is your problem right here. Verse 2, he says, if you do not listen And if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord, I will send a curse on you and I will curse your blessings. That means everything you do. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not resolved to honor me. So here's what we need to do. If you feel like God is not working through, if you don't feel like your life is making a difference, first thing to do, Malachi says this, God says this, put me in my right place. God says, put me in my right place. See, some of us, as we said earlier, we don't see God as a heavyweight anymore. They began to dishonor them. Guys, let me tell you something. God loves you deeply. He cares for you. He is one of grace and mercy and perfect justice. He is kind and generous to all people. But I tell you something. God requires and expects us to treat him like God not a buddy. Though he is a friend to the friendless and a father to the fatherless, he is never a buddy. God says this, I love this verse. Psalm 130 verse 4 says, but you, but with you there is forgiveness. This is the psalm writer. God, there's grace, kindness, forgiveness, mercy. There's so many good things about you, Lord. There's forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. That word reverence is tremble with fear in all of you. God, thank you. You are gracious and forgiving and loving and kind and generous. But Lord, we're saved to be in awe of you, to serve you, to treat you like God. Malachi 2.3 says, because of you, God says, I will rebuke your descendants. Not putting me in my right place, God says, will take an effect on your kids. Write this down. This is the second thing you need to understand if you want to get out of this funk that Malachi is talking about. Is you need to understand your role in influencing others. Let me talk to you for a second, parents. Mom, dad, your complacency is and will affect your kids. Your lack of desire to love God, to follow God, to live for God does and will affect your children. It does, and it is right now. They are watching you. They are imitating you. And even your teenagers, they are being shaped by your complacency or your passion for God. I see it every week. Be who you want them to be. For instance, if you don't want your kids to struggle with alcohol, then stop it. 
Stop getting drunk. Stop going off and partying if you want your kids to be pure in this area. If you want your kids to remain pure in their intimate life, then, Dad, be pure in your life. If you want your children to respect you, then respect the authority around you and respect them as well. Respect the spiritual leadership in your life that's there to care for you. The Apostle Paul echoes this throughout Ephesians. God says, you miss it. You don't understand how influential you are. And now he says one of the grossest passages in all of Scripture. And if it weren't in the Bible, you'd say, that's too offensive for church. God said it. Check this out. He says, if you don't listen to this warning, God says this. He says, I will smear on your face the dung from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. I'd like to illustrate that. Can I get a volunteer? Two volunteers. There's a warm bag over there. Could you bring that over here? Wow. Let me, let me, let me put that in normal phrasing. The poop from your sick animals that you try to give me, I'm going to stick your face in it, and then you're going to be carried off with it. Whoa, but I love you. <laughs> That's pretty powerful, wouldn't you say? That is, God said that. That's how serious he takes your whole influence of others. God then says four things that has affected people in a negative way. It's in one passage. Let's take a look at it. He says, this is what you've done. <coughs> and this can actually read from a page from your house. This might read from a page from your home, from your work. He says, you've turned from the way. That means you've departed from the truth. You don't live like God is king and Lord of all. You don't live like he's the ruler over your life. You don't live under the truth. You've let your values, your morals, the direction of your life go in whatever you feel. God says, you know what? Here's what I have a problem with. You've departed from the way. And then he says this, and your teaching has caused many to stumble. That means you've derailed others. Some of you can't figure out what's going on at home. It's because your life has derailed your own kids. Some of you can't figure out why your friends can't see Christ in you because you've derailed and caused them to stumble through your own life and choices. Some of you at work can't figure out why you can't be a greater influence. He says, because you have been responsible for others stumbling. He says, and you violated the covenant with Levi says the Lord Almighty. That means you've desecrated your calling. You have a covenant calling of God to make a difference. We're going to end with that in a second. And he says, and you've desecrated that. And he says, so I've caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways and have shown partiality in matters of life. He says, you've got to the point where you're despised. You're despised because you treat people unfairly and you play favorites. He says, this is what's going on in our life. Let's think about it, guys. This is what's going on in our home. God says you need to realize the power of your influence. If you want to feel like you're making a difference, acknowledge that you make a difference. Acknowledge that your life is a difference of influence for others around you if you are a Christ follower. If you're not a Christian, I apologize. The Christians are many times horrible examples of God. They're horrible examples in their love, in their actions, in their lifestyle. 
I'm sorry, but that is not God's plan for them. There are a lot of lazy, watermelon worship Christians. Unfortunately, we've been guilty of the same things in our home, at work, and in our schools. So what do we do about it? God says, well, first of all, put me in my right place. Understand your role in influencing others. And this is the last thing. Embrace who I called you to be. Embrace who I called you to be. This is what he says in Malachi 2, verse 4. He says, and you will know that I have sent this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty, says the boss. He says, I'm, I'm telling you all this. I'm being harsh with you, not just because I love you, but because I'm not finished with you. And I want you to go back to the embrace of who you were called to be. I'm giving you this warning so that you might go back and fulfill and embrace who you are created to be. Verse 4, he says, and you will know this by this warning. Then God gives us our calling as leaders. This is for Christians. This is for parents. This is for leaders. This is what God has called us to do. And we're going to end with this thought. Verse 5, he says, my covenant was with him. That's Levi. A covenant of life and peace. And I gave them to him. That's the Lord. This called for reverence, and he revealed me and stood in awe of my name. Our first responsibility is we are called to worship and reflect the King of Kings. He says, I called them for reverence. Man, imagine that. You were called and chosen and loved by God to reflect his honor and awe and majesty. We live to worship, to reflect Jesus to point to Christ. Verse 6, he says, True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He says, men, we are called to receive and grow in the truth of God, to grow and speak the truth of God. Here's the next thing. He says, he walked, that's Levi, walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. He's saying we're called to walk and live differently from this world. Some of you guys, you can't figure out why you're not making a difference. Well, maybe you're not reflecting God. Maybe you're not growing in that truth of who He is. And maybe your walk itself, your life, looks just like everybody else's. If you are a Christian, if you are a Christian, not everybody here is, if you are a Christian, you have been called to be different. Not wacky, weirdo, different. You know, not clone, robotic, praise the Lord, brother, praise the Lord, hallelujah, hallelujah. Not weird, funky different, but actually compassionate, loving, look like Jesus different. Verse 7, this is the last thing. He says, for the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. And people seek instruction from his mouth. I love this. We are called to be the messenger of hope and truth. Our world is hurting. God says, You are the Malachi. That's the word there. You are the messenger. You are the Malachi. So God, where are you? God, I don't feel you. God, I don't know if you're working in my life. Very simple. God's challenge today was this. Remember what I did and remember who you've been called to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your gracious mercy on our life. Uh, Lord, I thank you for your chastisement as well. 
Lord, the Bible says you discipline those who you love. And Lord, those in this room who receive the word of God this morning, we understand it's out of love that you give us these words. Uh, Father, help us to be better worshipers. People committed and devoted to lifting up your name and exalting you. People who will reflect you. Heads bowed, eyes closed. This message today was primarily a challenge for believers. But if you're in this room and you're not a Christian, I want to give you this opportunity to know this God that cares for us deeply and can turn your life 100% around. I want to lead you in a prayer. Let's all pray this together. Dear Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the blood that was shed. Forgive me of my sin. I want to start new with you today. I've made some mistakes. I have failed. Thank you for your forgiveness. Teach me how to have awe and reverence for you as I live out your life in me. I need you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. We're going to end with some worship these last couple minutes, but we're going to, I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward at this time. If you prayed that prayer, inside your worship guide is a card. Could you fill out that card and say, you know what, I made a fresh start with God today. Or if you have a prayer request or a special need on your heart you'd like to talk to somebody about, could you fill that out as well and drop it in the offering uh, bucket that will come by here in just a second. And um, somebody will contact you this week. As we uh, transition from this short time of worship, Uh, out of here. Um, Well, we got to whenever, you know, just be led of God. Um, I want you guys, particularly those of you who are believers in this room, call out to God today. These last few minutes, repent before him. Malachi, how many of you guys like Malachi so far? Is it crazy? I think it's crazy. You You ain't seen nothing yet. It gets weirder. Next week is Valentine's Sunday week in The next part of chapter 2 is a challenge to families. It's a challenge particularly to husbands and wives. So even if you're a young person, you're not going to want to miss this. If you're married, next week is God saying, you know what the problem is? You know why you can't hear my prayers? Because things aren't right in your marriage. Powerful, powerful uh, section next week. Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.